Our first reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 722 in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Isaiah 65. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered cursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt and destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Chapter 8, verses 18 to 39. Again, this is on page 168 in the New Testament part of the Pew Bible. Romans chapter 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. That not only creation, but we ourselves, who, have, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but who hopes for what is seen? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words, and God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who accord according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a real joy to be here today. Uh, I have not been part of the worshipping community at Bloomsbury for very many years, uh, but as I've just uh, been, been meeting old friends, because about 30 years ago, when I was a fresh-faced, 20-something young person, uh, I was a member here for a couple of years, and it's just so lovely to see uh, people here today from that time, and it really has felt like coming home a bit, so thank you so much for your lovely welcome today. Um, it was during that era when I was first exploring the initial calls to ministry, and uh, the very first communion service I led was here, under the steely but compassionate gaze of Barbara, who was, who was steering me through that, uh, that, that particular time. And uh, particularly remember time with the, with the young people when I think we put on a couple of musical productions, which I think were Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and the Jonah Man Jazz, which were just great fun to do. I think we did those at some harvest uh, festivals or something during that time. So it is a particular joy to be back at a church that has been significant for my journey of faith and uh, in my uh, walk with God. So bless you and thank you for all of that. We come to hear the word of God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, may this word from the past come alive in the present through the power of your Holy Spirit. The Lord God, speak to us for we need to hear you. And help us, we pray, to have listening ears and hearts. And help us to respond with faithful, courageous love. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what kind of week you've had. 
If you just do a very quick rewind of the reel for this past week, I wonder what it's held for you and what it's felt like to live this past week. Some people might have had travelled long distances and be coming to terms with a bizarre new culture that, uh, its, which has a similar kind of language but isn't, doesn't quite feel the same as home. I wonder what the rest of us have felt, and, uh, felt like and done in this past week. Well, if it's like mine, it's probably a bit mixed. I am now a full-time carer for my elderly mother, who is 88 years old, soon to be 90, she says. She's holding on to that as, a, as, a, as her thing. She's very forgetful, and she has the aches and pains of aging. So my weeks are fairly routined, my days are fairly routined. Same meds round, the same help to get up and face and negotiate the day and so on. But it's also been a day of routine, of a week of routine, but also been a week of, of joy. And because even within that routine, there are moments of laughter and of recognition and of all of that, which, have, which are just precious, and you take those moments for what they are. It's also been a wonderful week because my granddaughter turned eight. We had her eighth birthday party at our, at our home. She, well, she's, she's eight, she's going on 18, but she is, uh, she is eight. And uh, that was full of joy and cake and full of sugar and, uh, and all the things you shouldn't eat but are right to have at birthday parties. And that's been great. But concern too, and uh, I have two friends of mine who at the moment are going through either chemo or radiotherapy because they have breast cancer. And I know they're not alone. I know that's, that's held within the congregation here. Members of your own family are going through something similarly. So concern about them, concern for them, concern about what's going on in the world, concern about the nation's future as yet another week peels off the calendar when the future is really unclear. Another week passes, our political leaders are divided. There's not much cause for optimism on the political front. And concern over the level of public debate Concern over the role of media in that and a whole number of other issues. Concern for our children. Again, we've read this week about the levels of mental health issues are massively on the rise. It's a hard time to be a child or young person. How do you work out who you are and why you're here? Concern for mothers in London broken by the loss of their children to knife crime. Concern for the cries of those trying to cross the channel on flimsy boats, desperately searching for safety. There's a lot to be concerned about, isn't there? And there's a sense that things are indeed changing. The, the tectonic plates of the world are somehow shifting and we're not completely sure of who's in control of the change and we fear that uncertainty. And at the moment, it just seems like the level of national anxiety is a little overwhelming. Good news then, that in today's uh, uh, BBC website uh, on, the, on the internet, we read that the Great British Bake Off is giving enormous solace to American friends, actually. There's a, there's a great, uh, there's a great uh, a piece about it there. And in fact, people are seeking solace in, in, in a show that is about kindness. And there was a wonderful uh, part of the story which talked about the former UN human rights chief, Zaid Raad al-Hussein, telling Reuters that the Great British Bake Off was his release after dealing with world horrors. He says, this man pulls out a souffle just before the competition ends and the thing collapses, he says, recalling an episode. I burst into tears and couldn't stop. Or a wonderful phrase from uh, 
Delilah Dawson, who is, I don't know, but she talks about the Great British, British Bake Off being the antidote to uh, road rage, to what's happening in American politics at the moment, uh, and to general unkindness. She says, I see people reaching out and saying to each other, what can I do to help? And I am moved by that, she says. The secret power of cakes. We're going to come back to that. So we seem to be living in a time where the steady drumbeat of general awfulness raises many questions about who we are and how we are and why we are in the world. How then are we to be? All things around us, uh, things are changing. I don't quite know where it's all going or who's going to help us to find a new sense of direction or of balance or of justice or of peace or of a nation where everybody truly thrives. Aren't you glad you came today? I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I came for some good news this morning. There's so much that needs fixing in the world. My own life is hard enough, let alone all the other stuff that's going on. But the thing, in the thing is this morning that this level of anxiety, this level, degree of uncertainty is not new. It is new to us. The creaking and groaning of a broken world and a fragile humanity within it has been around for a long time. And it's this searing reality that Paul addresses here in, the, in that letter to the fledgling church in Rome. And we, what he does is to shift our vision of how we see the world with all of the anxieties raised in us to take on a whole new perspective in all of the destruction and decay and war and greed and oppression and tyranny, all, all those things that bind the world to the ways of death. We know, he says that there is a different story working its way out. And its song sings of eager expectation, looking forward to a day of freedom as liberty, as the children of God. And, he says, it is with this hope that we were saved. The story that is working its way out speaks of a creation groaning as in the pangs of childbirth. And can't we just see and feel that around us at the moment? But that creation waits with eager expectation for the children of God, those in whom this hope, this promise lives, to be revealed. And they aren't left to sort all this out on their own, thanks be to God. For God gives them the gift of the Spirit, the energizing, redeeming, resurrecting power of God to shape their lives and their place in the world, a world that is groaning, yearning for wholeness. And Paul talks not only of the groaning of creation, but of the groans that you and I know in the outworking of our lives. Lives which are less than whole, less than perfect, and each of us will know what that means for the lives that we are each living. Lives blighted by disappointment and hurt, lives diminished by old habits and prejudices that no longer offend us, but have become old friends. Lives which groan for healing and newness and love and energy and freedom. And that spirit, same spirit, says Paul, that is working to bring the hope of creation to fruition is working in us, present in the depths of our groaning, interpreting them to God who searches our inmost being. To the groaning of creation, the groaning of our incomplete lives and the despairing hearts, is not the end of the story. 
And in the gift of the Spirit given to us by a generous and gracious God, we are shown a glimpse of what that newness looks like when we know the love of family and of friends, when we see our community and neighborhood become a better place to live in, when we learn of the quiet work of so many people who care for the hurting and the traumatized, and when we see the lives of men and women opening up to the transforming presence of God in Christ, we experience just a fraction of that vision and taste a little of the passionate and jealous love that God has for us and all creation. And how is it after a week, a month, a year like the one we've just had, can we look forward with hope? On what grounds can we hold on to such a promise? For this passage speaks of a God who is not against us but is for us, but how do we know? Because he did not spare his own son but gave him up for all. And it's here that the groaning of creation, the groaning of our hearts, the deep yearning for wholeness was carried. It's in the death and resurrection of Jesus that the somber hum of despair is transformed into a new song of hope. Now that was brought into sharp relief for me a while ago when uh, I spent uh, some time at a conference in a few days in Whitby, which is a very lovely place on the Yorkshire coast, at a conference, one of many at the moment, looking at the future of the church because this same anxiety pervades the church at the moment. We were looking at one of the key changes facing the church, the church moving from the center of society to its margins and having to learn what it means to live in exile rather than at the heart of power. And that grew into looking at what the good news was that we need to proclaim to the world. And so we were looking at the Bible, a good place to start, and one speaker noted that the overwhelming expression of good news in the New Testament is this, that God raised Jesus from the dead. That God raised Jesus from the dead. And at that point, as he was talking and exploring that particular theme, people responded and they put up their hands and one said, that's right. Uh, I got to midlife before I ever heard that God raised Jesus from the dead. Nobody had ever told me. Yes, said another. Uh, it was when I heard that Jesus was alive that my life was completely transformed. And said a third, I was an avowed atheist when a Christian I worked with told me about the resurrection of Jesus in such a way that I had to go and explore that for myself. And in that exploration, prompted by a man in whom the love of Christ lived, I found myself converted. Isn't that a lovely phrase? I always think that's a very British phrase. Yeah. I found myself converted. That was, you know, quietly, gently, you know, subversively. When death itself has its power removed, when the life and love of God in Christ are shown to be more powerful than anything, that's where we'll find our grounds for hope. And then we can hope with eagerness and patience for the day when the story which has already begun of a creation reconciled to God will be fulfilled and the trees will clap their hands and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, says Paul, are children of God. The children in whom this powerful hope, this abiding expectation lives. And it's of a totally different order from wishful thinking. For this hope is deep 
and far-reaching. So as those who dare to follow Christ and who hold in our hearts the grieving of the world and the hope of resurrection, our call to faithful living in the light of this hope is clear. Follow me, says Jesus. And the hope that we know isn't just to comfort us in the present, although it does. And the hope that we know isn't just about life one day in the future being made whole, although it will be. The hope we know in Christ is a powerful force that shapes our living now. The hope that we know alters the way we see things and how we should respond to them. And the news that God raised Jesus from the dead gives us a whole new perspective on how we should live in relationship with the world, with God and with each other. And that's the call to us as communities of faith in the God who raised Jesus from the dead and to whom he gives the spirit to help us in our weakness to live as the children of God. What might that look like? On a personal level, when we are tempted to fall into despair about the state of politics generally, not just here, but globally, when we fall into, tempted to fall into despair about the nation or the crushing inequalities and injustices that seem to run freely in the world, might there be a call to renew discipline in our engagement with God? The God who raised Jesus from the dead. And I, I guess I'm talking about a renewed discipline in our prayer life and our engagement with scripture. And I don't mean a hunkering down into entrenched perspectives, but a renewed prayer life and engagement with scripture that liberates our imaginations to help us to see the world as it might be. That wonderful reading from Isaiah 65 is one of those passages. For I am creating, says God, a new heaven and a new earth. The work of, of, of reconciliation and of a world that is, is going to be made whole has already started. And we are the ones who are entrusted with that hope and that story to be presences of hope in the world. A renewed prayer life and engagement with scripture that enables us to fully inhabit our baptized lives. The life which pulls us into the slipstream of the resurrection of Christ. And I hope that you'll forgive me a personal story, which I offer to you, not as a story of, um, you know, oh my goodness, hasn't she got it all together, but a story of confession, because I didn't. A couple of years ago, I was very conscious of being consumed by the prevailing anxiety Anywhere you turn in the media, it seems, the, the, the news is bad. The news is bad about everything. And we need to be on our watch for that because what happens when it's constantly bad is that we become immune to the power of language. There are only, there's only so often you can use the word catastrophic in news stories before you actually start to become numb to the word. And if our language loses its power, we're in trouble. So as Christians, please, let's use language well, and hopefully, and let's, lift, let's lift the debate. But my heart was disturbed. I felt overwhelmed on the, on the global scale of all the things that were wrong. But I was also disturbed, sensing that something else was called for by those who follow Christ, because becoming consumed by anxiety about the state of things is ultimately paralyzing rabbits caught in headlights and doesn't speak of freedom or of wholeness 
Now, I have always loved the news since childhood. Uh, probably, friends, to the point of obsession, I have to confess that. Listening to it, reading it, and the internet has not helped that addiction. Uh, clicking on news websites uh, to catch up with the latest twist and turn in any, in, in, in any given story. And I became aware of this anxiety just before Lent. So if a Lenten discipline is all about uh, addressing the issues in our lives that lead us away from God, away from a baptized living, away from a resurrected life, then I got to thinking about what I should do. So for the six weeks of Lent, I managed to give up the news in all its forms, believing uh, rightly, as it turned out, that if something really important happened, somebody would tell me. Now, that wasn't about running away from the news from the, from the world. It wasn't about uh, shielding myself from the horrors of the world. But the counterbalance was that I was going to immerse myself in the Psalms in a pretty intentional way for the six weeks of Lent, so that the, my perspective of the world and of God's vision for the world would be rebalanced by the words and the images of Scripture. Because that's actually our guiding light. Not, I hate to say it, the pages of the Guardian, or the Telegraph, or the Times, or the Express, or whatever, but actually Scripture. Now, what was interesting about that was within days, within days, I could feel a lessening of the internal anxiety in my heart, and the gentle work of rebalancing was going on. And rather than being overwhelmed by a whole list of issues that I could do nothing about, my prayer life was fed by the words of the psalmist, and that all distilled down to a repeated prayer at the beginning of each day, which was this, Lord, show me the call of love in this day, and help me to respond with faithful love. Because the arena of my discipleship is my life and the days that pass in my experience and the experience of brothers and sisters and that rebalancing of heart led to a reclaiming of vocation and to see again that God works through each of us. The story that's working its way out that Paul talks about is working its way out through each of us in the warp and weft of the actual lives that we actually live. Now, all of that is still work in progress, but it was a journey that made a huge difference to me. And a final story. A Baptist minister who is well acquainted with the rhythms of prayer and of passionate and enlivened engagement with scripture retired. And she went to live on a council estate, a social housing estate in South Bristol, a very large estate uh, that had been built after the war to rehome those who'd been bombed out of the middle of Bristol during the war. And before she moved on to the estate, her prayer was this Lord, please show me the most difficult people to work with. Now, for me, the story could end there because I'm actually profoundly challenged by that question. I'm profoundly challenged by that, but that was her prayer. It's a prayer of somebody who understands the contours of the love of God and who understands the way that God has worked before and will work again and who understands the call of God to join in with that work even in the places that cause the most anxiety and seem the darkest. So she moved into a neighborhood uh, which uh, was part of the estate and she got to know her neighbors and she very quickly became aware uh, of a heightened level of anxiety in the neighborhood. 
And the anxiety was all around a gang of young people who used to gather at the end of their street and whose behavior her neighbors found really intimidating to the point where a number of them didn't want to leave their home because they were frightened by having to run the, 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 the gamut of, of this particular gang. So she said, thank you, Lord, for showing me the toughest people that I should work with. And she got to thinking and praying about what to do. And uh, she did something that she had learned before was quite effective, which was baking a cake. Uh, she was a great baker, and she baked a cake, and one day just took this freshly baked cake out of the oven and walked down to where this gang of young people had gathered at the end of the road. And she said, I've just made this. Would you like some? Now, that's a bonkers thing to do. Who in their right mind would do that? You know, it's difficult when a Victoria sponge becomes your weapon of hope, doesn't it, really? <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a place. Nonplussed, they, were, they weren't expecting this at all. Of course, they started eating the cake. And what happened was that over time, she got to know their names, and she baked even more cakes and took them down and got to know their stories and discovered, big surprise, that they were just a group of ordinary lost boys. But she got to know them and love them. She learned their names, heard their stories, and just kept that going. A few months later, uh, there was a knock on her door. And she opened the door, and standing in front of her were two police officers. And they said to her, are you the cake lady? And she said, well, uh, possibly. Uh, why, you know, why? And she said, well, they said to her, you just need to know. Um, we don't know what you're doing, we don't understand what you're doing, but the level, the crime rate in this neighborhood has dropped by 75% in the last few months. And she was clearly pleased by that. Within two years of this engagement with these young people, uh, in this gang of young people, uh, all of them, bar three, were either in full-time education, full-time training, or full-time work. Three weren't, the hardcore. And she continued meeting with them and hearing their stories and being there for them and just basically loving them. And one day they were in her home with her and uh, they were talking and doubtless had been sharing cake, although I don't know that, wouldn't surprise me. And uh, the time of the evening was wearing on when the leader of this group of people said, do you mind if we stay over? Oh my goodness. A single woman, what should I do? You know, there's nanosecond of discernment and of wisdom. What, what am I going to do? And she said, yes, that's fine. I'm going to go upstairs to bed. You can, you can stay down here. You can stay down in the living room and, and sleep here. The following morning, she went downstairs, and the three were there, and they had breakfast together. And the leader of the gang said to her that I, I, I slept through the night for the first time that I can remember when I wasn't woken by dreams. And he said to her as they were leaving later on that morning, there is no evil here. Now that story is also work in progress. And doubtless there will be another chapter being written right now. But it seems to me that that was profoundly something to do with the story that's working its way out of which we are a part. 
Friends, today we are gathered in Bloomsbury Baptist Church, a particular church called into being in a particular place for a particular time, and a church which can tell a particular story of the faithfulness and the calling of God. And it's a church that in common with many others will be asking questions of what it means to be the people of God here and now. And I know that you're in the process of discerning what that means for you as you seek to embody hope and proclaim and practice good news to an anxious world. So let our prayer be that our hearts will know again the depth of the love of God for us and for all people and a newness of hope and confidence in the work of Christ to transform lives and situations so that we are not paralyzed by that anxiety, that our fear melts away and we discover that God-given courage to share the love and hope with our families and people at work and neighbors, for we do not walk this alone. Together, this church with all of the churches in London and throughout the nation and throughout the world, are called to Christ-shaped living that makes friends out of enemies, that builds community to combat isolation and finds every which way to proclaim in ways that people can hear that God raised Jesus from the dead. And together, you, the wonderful people of Bloomsbury Baptist Church, will do that in the power of the Spirit the gift of God to the children of God. So let's live riskily and live courageously and live hopefully for this church is part of the story that started long ago and is working its way out, confident in the knowledge that nothing in all creation can separate us from the death-conquering love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Take a moment just to identify what we've heard that has moved us or made us, made us question something or given us a different perspective on something. Where, where have we heard the voice of God this morning? Let us close our eyes in prayer and contemplative thought. The world is filled with worry. Concerns that weigh heavily on our shoulders. Fears that blunt the edges of joy. In this moment, pause to take a breath. Not a shallow breath the ones we take every second, but a deep, lung-expanding, belly-bloating, shoulder-stretching breath. In your seat, fill your lungs now, not the shallow breaths of those treading water, but a deep, powerful breath, drawing in of oxygen, starting from your diaphragm and slowly filling up your chest. Take five seconds to slowly breathe in, and then five seconds to slowly breathe out. In through your nostrils and out through your mouth.
and again. And again. In prayer, we stop to pause, to reflect, to seek intercession. Yet often we do so with our minds clogged, our lungs empty, our souls wrung out. We find no peace in prayer because our bodies are not peaceful. So let your minds wander as your bodies stay rooted. Fill your lungs with air, relaxing our bodies and washing our worries. In prayer, we offer our worries to you, O God. In the silence we speak within us or quietly under our breath, that which plagues our sleep, that brings us fear in the day, that prevents us from seeing the beauty of you at work in and through creation. Offer those worries now. Living God, who looks at the world and mourns for the burdens she carries, we offer ourselves again, full of concern, yet seeking hope. We fear gun violence and knife crime. We fear for where we will rest our head. We fear the politics of the greedy. We fear the warming of the planet. We fear no safety in public toilets. We fear weather that turns against us. We fear inhumane working conditions. We fear slavery. We fear poverty. We are fearful. We hope for peace. We hope for shelter. We hope for justice. We hope for the world. We hope for freedom of expression and identity. We hope for safety in times of danger. We hope for fairness. We hope for freedom. We hope for release.
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, restorer of peace, our hope for the future. Amen. <laughs>